the key thing for trauma for me is that it is a completely unique subjective experience for each person. So trauma means different things to every single person. So it is your experience of your birth. And it might not just be your birth. Increasingly, we think about perinatal trauma. So it might be something that's happened in your pregnancy. It might be something around feeding postnatally. So it's something about one or many of those experiences that to you felt really difficult, really out of control, really frightening, um, and just you felt that you couldn't make sense of what was happening at that time. And then what tends to happen is that you then can't really leave that experience behind. So it's, it's the birth that you either perhaps can't talk about or think about because it just feels too difficult, or perhaps that you can't stop talking about, that you have to be sort of reliving and replaying and asking people for reassurance about. Having a baby is meant to be the most joyful time of your life. But for many mums and dads, it can be the hardest and at times the darkest of places. Welcome to Blue Mondays, the podcast for anyone struggling with parenting. Today's guest is Dr. Rebecca Moore, who is consultant perinatal psychiatrist and co-founder of Make Birth Better. They are a collective of experts who bring together lived experience and extensive professional knowledge of birth trauma and vicarious trauma. Rebecca is passionate about kindness, listening, and validating women's health experiences. Rebecca is also a mum, which informs her practice too. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a real honor to chat to you. And yeah, really pleased to have you on today's episode. First of all, can you just tell us a little bit about your sort of professional experience and, and what you do? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, as you said, I'm a perinatal psychiatrist and have been for a very long time now. Um, so I was really lucky in my early training to work with one of the real pioneers of perinatal psychiatry in the UK. And it just really, I fell deeply in love with, you know, looking after women through their pregnancy and afterwards, because it just seems like the most important special time to support people. So I worked in the NHS for many years, um, worked in inner city London. Um, so really interesting, rich, complex, diverse places to work. So became sort of increasingly interested in all the kind of systemic barriers to care and, um, you know, trying to provide inclusive care for all. And really what became clear to me about sort of 10 years ago was that actually what people really wanted to talk to me about was their birth experience. And at that time, I think there wasn't really very much around about birth trauma. Um, so I decided to set up a sort of annual conference, try to bring together people to talk about this. And from that, Make Birth Better was born. So we've been doing that since 2018 and really campaigning around raising awareness around trauma, um, not just for parents, but also for professionals as well, for people working within systems. Um, so it's kind of been this wonderful arc um, of lots of different types of roles of work. Um, and I left the NHS in 2019. Um, so now I work privately, um, seeing people in clinic and also with Make Birth Better. 
it's very interesting you say actually about the, the trauma affecting health professionals because that's something that is never talked about and I was actually watching um the Adam Kay drama this will hurt on BBC one and it's incredible you know it's an incredible watch and yeah you don't think actually about the effect all these experiences um has on on the actual healthcare professionals themselves so I think that's a very good point however I'm aware that this podcast is really aimed at parents so I think it's fantastic to talk about you know dive deep into the the experience of parents So how would you define birth trauma, first of all? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. So, I mean, I think the key thing for trauma for me is that it is a completely unique subjective experience for each person. So trauma means different things to every single person. So it is your experience of your birth. And it might not just be your birth. Increasingly, we think about perinatal trauma. So it might be something that's happened in your pregnancy. It might be something around feeding postnatally. So it's something about one or many of those experiences that to you felt really difficult, really out of control, really frightening, um, and just you felt that you couldn't make sense of what was happening at that time. And then what tends to happen is that you then can't really leave that experience behind. So it's, it's the birth that you either perhaps can't talk about or think about because it just feels too difficult, or perhaps that you can't stop talking about, that you have to be sort of reliving and replaying and asking people for reassurance about. But it is something that is going to be incredibly unique to you. So, you know, if you put 15 people in a room that had had a traumatic birth, everyone's story would be different. And that's why it's so important that we give people space to think about and reflect and hear those stories. I think that's such an incredibly important point because I suffered from a traumatic birth and it affected me terribly. Um, It resonated for for years. And yet on paper, I think to the medical profession, it seemed quite quick and straightforward. And for years, I felt guilt for not coping with that experience because Mm -hmm. I felt... I had no right to claim a traumatic birth because I wasn't rushed into an emergency C-section with like life-threatening things. So when I actually came across Make Birth Better and this idea that actually it can be what you perceive as traumatic, it was, I mean, I cried. (laughs) I cried and I sort of grieved for that experience and it was so cathartic for me to know that actually it was okay to have felt so traumatized by my my circumstances and and my own personal thing was that I wasn't believed I was in labor when I actually was and so I was sort of induced to, not against my will because I went with what I was told I, I, my son was three weeks early and I was so utterly invalidated and not listened to and was just left and that they said they'd come back in six hours to see if I'd started dilating and basically throughout that time you know I was actually pushing on my own but not knowing what was going on and Mm -hmm. um 
and I wasn't listened to when they said I I feel different I feel wrong something's not right they were like you're just tired and I wasn't allowed to breastfeed my son for over an hour because they were so busy about stitching me up and Mm -hmm. You know, I don't what I don't want to do is jettison this episode with my own experience. But just to say to anybody that's listening Mm. right now Mm. that whatever you experienced, if it affected you badly and negatively, it's that is okay and that is totally legitimate and valid. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for sharing some of your story there. I think you you pull out so many really important things I think it you know I'd really like to be clear like you alluded to that you know birth trauma doesn't mean that you're at risk of harm that there was something medically wrong it can be because of that but actually if we look at the causes of birth trauma for many many people it's about interpersonal factors so it's feeling somebody's not being kind to you, feeling you've been left alone for long periods of time, feeling that you were going to birth on your own, feeling people dismissed your pain, feeling there was racism, feeling that people were talking about you, not to you, not including you, not consenting you. And actually for a lot of people, what hurts them most deeply is that care or lack of care because you know you're in pain you're tired you're vulnerable and to feel uncared for or dismissed at that point is deeply wounding Um, and many people will talk about that aspect of it rather than sort of medical things of course it can be medical things as well Um, but it is very much often how you feel cared for or not cared for that is is the most deeply upsetting thing for people and I think sort of yeah that feeling of being a passenger Mm. and and being a vessel rather than a a human being but I think again sort of the more conversations I have the more I've I've discovered that there is a a real inequality of care Mm. and if you're a black or ethnic minority mum that actually you are more likely to have a negative birth experience in terms of the way that you're treated or spoken to. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, You know, obviously we have, this is a statistic, unfortunately, that has been there for a very long time. And it's really good that people are trying to sort of meaningfully look at this and highlight this. But it, you know, of course, it feels far too slow if, you know, you're currently a black mum who's pregnant and you read these terrifying statistics. And even this morning, I was reading a paper that's just been published where they analysed healthcare records and found that black people were 2.5 times more likely to be described in negative terms. In terms oh, my of- goodness. Yeah. So, you know, being perceived as angry or aggressive or non-compliant. So there are so many systemic inequalities in our healthcare system that that you know women can face um in terms of you know barriers in terms of accessing care equity of care how people are treated so it's a real issue and I really you know passionately believe that all of us in this space need to do our work to 
challenge our own biases, our own assumptions, to be meaningful allies, not just performative allies, to, you know, to know what the statistics are in our local trust, what can we do to change them? You know, this is on all of us, um, because I can't bear the thought that, you know, you could have two women that were completely the same, apart from the colour of their skin, and that their outcomes can be so different. I think that is so profoundly shocking that this is still happening in 2022. Um, and, you know, there are lots of amazing groups, you know, doing fantastic pieces of work around this, like five times more and, you know, different campaigners. So, yeah, we've got um, Sandra Igwe of the Motherhood yeah. Group coming on and I've been speaking to Chrissy Brown of Motivational Mothers. But more needs to be done. And I absolutely welcome anything that's being done to sort of raise this as a, a, an issue. That thing about sort of validation and feeling like you have a voice in your birth experience, for any pregnant mums that are listening, is there anything that can be done? Would you recommend their partner acts as their advocate if they have a birthing partner? Yeah, so, you know, if you have a birthing partner, then of course, you know, try to have conversations prior to labour about what you might like, what you feel might help you, you know, if you feel that you're temporarily not able to use your voice, you know, having had those discussions with a birthing partner beforehand about what kind of pain relief I might like, not like, you know, how I would like people to have those kind of conversations with me. Um, so anything you can do like that, then yes, of course, that's, that's great. You know, sometimes people will think about using a doula because they can be an amazing advocate for people um, and really add, you know, an additional layer of support. Um, and really, I think, you know, not being afraid to ask questions, not being able, you know, not being afraid to ask for a second opinion, not being afraid to say, no, I don't want that procedure done yet. What are the risks and benefits if we wait a while? Um, you know, trusting your your intuitive sense of what feels right or wrong, which I know is easier said than done often. You know, but I think often, you know, we do have that sense of what's right and wrong in our bodies. And, and you know, women are the expert of their bodies, not me. You know, you know your body and your history and how you feel. You're the expert there. So, you know, not being afraid to sort of say no, I think. Um, all of those things, you know, sound easy to say now, but can be very, very difficult in, in the height of labour, if you're feeling frightened or in pain or, you know, having periods of time on your own. So I think it's also knowing that you can go in with all these tools and sometimes they can be helpful. Sometimes you get a chance to use them, sometimes you don't. But know that you will do the best that you can for you in that moment, in that time during your birth, because we can't predict how your birth will be. Oh, that we could, but you know, it is by nature unpredictable. So, you know, arm yourself with as much knowledge and support and feeling as informed and confident as you can, but just also know that things sometimes can change and flux through your birth as well. Um, it, it's a really difficult balance to get, you know, because I think often people then blame themselves for not speaking up or, you know, they will say to me, 
normally I'm so confident and I just feel like I lost my voice and I couldn't say anything or they will feel angry at their partner because they didn't feel they kind of spoke up for them but of course partners can feel overwhelmed and traumatized too absolutely you know often partners will feel very frozen and helpless and and can't say anything either and um, because they too are feeling traumatized um so you know i i know it's a very difficult thing to navigate but the more you have those conversations beforehand the more you can ask questions of those people providing your care if you're lucky enough to have continuity of care all these things can can really help those points are, are so important to emphasize because I think when you're in that situation um, especially if you haven't given birth before you you feel you can't question you, you feel you know obviously the healthcare professionals are the experts mm-hmm. and you actually feel if you're told no you can't breastfeed and even though, you know, in my example, I kept saying, why can't I breastfeed? Because I knew that that first hour was really important. Or, or just, you know, little things like, I, you know, if you don't want your placenta, uh, if you want to pass it naturally, and then them injecting you anyway. It's, it's, those things are actually quite important to you as a person. And my experience was, you know, I had very severe postnatal depression about feeling like a failure. Mm-hmm. And whilst I was very fortunate that I didn't have bonding issues I do feel I blamed myself for not for finding it traumatic and for not coping and um and in my husband's experience he also felt that he should have I mean should have is always (laughs) such uh such a big big thing um but he wished he could have been more of an advocate but at the time you know you're just going on the advice of what you're you're told and you you go along with it for any birthing partners listening to this who may have suffered trauma or you know witnessed things and and felt that they couldn't cope or were frozen at the time there are some incredible episodes already recorded with Mark Williams of mm-hmm. Fathers Reaching Out and Elliot Ray of Music Football Fatherhood who talk about their own experiences that might be helpful for you to listen to. Um, For parents who have been through what they perceive as a traumatic birth, would you recommend having a debrief with the hospital or the medical profession? So at the moment in the UK, um, debriefing is the most commonly offered first point of call I suppose after trauma and it's called different things it's sometimes called birth reflections or birth stories most trusts do have this type of service now not all but virtually all I think the answer to be honest is that it's very variable for people it depends really who does it how they do it and where they do it so sometimes, you know, asking somebody to go back to the place where your trauma took place and sit near the same clinic or ward is just too difficult. You know, people often say to me, I can't even drive past the hospital, let alone go into it. So, you know, sometimes where it is is a barrier for people. Um, it's often run by midwives and, and usually by somebody that's not been at your birth. 
So in reality, what it involves for most people is going through your medical records. And as we know, the quality of what's written in medical records is usually very practical and brief rather than sort of commenting on somebody's emotional state. So for some people, it can be intensely helpful. It's also an appointment and a space where typically, I suppose, more often the couple would go. So, you know, I think it's a really great space to potentially check in with partners and say, how are you doing as well? And particularly sometimes with trauma, people will have gaps in their memory um, because things have felt so difficult that they almost sort of zone out. So they're trying to kind of piece together the sequence of events of their birth. So it can be helpful to kind of piece that together chronologically and ask questions. I think for some people it feels more like a kind of tick box exercise and it feels like, you know, it's very defensive and that, you know, they don't really have an acknowledgement of people saying sorry or, you know, this is, how do you feel emotionally? So I think, you know, the answer is that it's a very variable outcome for different people. But I think it is something that is usually accessible and open to all. So absolutely, it could be one of the ways that you seek support and think about healing after a difficult birth. So, you know, I think it's we just don't have very much good evidence at the moment about what debriefing actually does and how it may work. Um, but I think, you know, anything that gives people a space to be heard and to tell their story is is amazing um and sometimes that happens in a in a debrief and sometimes not and so for anybody listening now who feels very badly affected by their mm -hmm. birth experience or as you say perinatal experience so leading up to the birth or it could be after the birth you know in terms of feeding or any other issues what other support services are available for example with make birth better are you able to lead people to information or is there other types of support available? Yeah so I mean there are lots and lots of sources of support in, in lots of different spaces and places which is great. Um, so you know particularly sort of peer support or online support I think is really helpful because like you were saying lots of people won't seek formal support because they feel really ashamed or they're blaming themselves, or they don't want to be judged. Um, so I think these online forums are amazing because you can be anonymous, nobody knows who you are. Um, so at Make Birth Better, we don't, we're not a clinical service, but you know, we have a, a whole heap of resources on our, on our website. And also if people message us, we will always try to signpost them to local sources of support for them. The Birth Trauma Association, has a peer group, uh, facilitated group for people after difficult birth experiences. Um, Pandas has a phone helpline, which is run by people with their own perinatal mental health um, experiences. And many of those have had difficult birth experiences. So that's a sort of free helpline that you can call. And I believe um, Pandas now do a tech service. They do. They well. do it as well. 
AIMS also um, are an amazing organisation that um, are separate to the NHS and have a helpline that you can call. And they can be very, very helpful because after trauma, sometimes it's very difficult to trust the NHS and trust medical professionals. So they are separate to um, the NHS, which can feel very helpful. And then of course you have all the services that you know are based within the NHS. So you can self-refer to your local IAPT service, which is your local psychology service. Um, it's again, it's called different things, and you know, depending on where you are, it might be called healthy minds or um, healthy matters. Um, but if you basically put in IAPT and wherever you live it will pop up and then you can self-refer and they offer therapy they prioritize new parents so although waiting lists you know we know can be variable they do prioritize new parents that's very important to to know and okay. I know when I spoke to Chrissy Brown she was saying that within the first sort of six months is that right that you you are entitled to counseling through the NHS so with IAPT, you can self-refer yourself at any time, um, at any time of your life. It doesn't have to be related to pregnancy, um, but they, they, you know, absolutely have a fast track for new families. Um, you know, obviously there's all the normal supports, whether you, you know, if you have a good GP that you can talk to, many practices now have a perinatal mental health lead GP. So they are, you know, have more training and more awareness. You know, sometimes you have a good health visitor. I know increasingly that, you know, that is not the case for some people. Um, and then, you know, there are other tiers of support like perinatal mental health teams, you know, parent infant therapy, couple therapy sometimes can be very helpful because there can be a massive impact on relationships after trauma, understandably, and many people, you know, are fearful of another pregnancy and that affects intimacy. So lots and lots of different ways that, you know, you might seek support that might feel right for you. One of the things you mentioned earlier was about doulas. And for anybody listening, if you listen to the episode with AJ Silver of the Queer Birth Club, yeah. AJ is a doula and I talked to them more about what a doula does and what a doula doesn't do so that's something that's quite useful if if you are pregnant and considering looking at that um if you don't mind me asking about your own experience did you did you have good birth experiences so I had two very different birth experiences so obviously I'm a medic so my experience of birth has mainly you know, in my training was all on uh, consultant-led obstetric care. So I wanted to give birth in hospital, probably because, you know, I have a very skewed bias of birth um, from, from being a, a, a medical person, I suppose. Um, my first birth was incredibly long um, and then medicalised at the end. Um, I ended up having a forceps birth, although it was very quick because she was she was literally there, but she had her hand on her face. So she just kept getting stuck at the very last moment. Um, but 40 hours. Um, and, I, and I wouldn't say that I was traumatised afterwards, but I think what has become clear to me, 
you know, through doing this work was that I felt very alone in my labor. You know, my husband was there, but I think he was just a bit shell-shocked and tired and exhausted. And the midwives that I had looking after me, I would say, were there practically, but there was very little emotional kindness or support. And for example, I didn't drink for 40 hours because I was so in the throw of, you know, my labor and managing my labor. Um, and I remember afterwards, my, my lips were so cracked and bleeding and my ankles had swollen up massively because I stood for virtually the whole time because I preferred to kind of move and rock. I was so physically exhausted afterwards and I just felt like there was no kind of support and kindness there really and then my daughter had some feeding difficulties and she had to be um, tube fed via it was like finger fed initially and then it was just you know very prolonged and by the time I came home I think I just felt a bit shell-shocked about what has actually just happened and completely exhausted as well and then of course she had colic and all the things that that brings with it. My son was was much uh, much quicker. It's only eight hours from start to finish. I stayed at home for four hours. I didn't know at the time, but he was back to back. So I had lots of very strong urges to push almost immediately. And then I ended up being in the pool, which was lovely. And then he was born, you know, very quickly. Um, and I think. The difference for me was not even around that, the time, the, the, but it was about the fact that I had an amazing midwife with me who was just like a hug in a person. Oh, she was just gorgeous. She was just so, so, it actually makes me want to cry just thinking about how amazingly lovely she was. Do you know her name? Um, Could you give her a shout out? <laughs> I, I, think, I think she's probably retired now, but she was just just amazing she made me feel like there was nothing else in the world at that moment but me and her um and you know it was just it was just wonderful because of her um yeah you're making me teary now <laughs> <laughs> so you know the difference was you know was about the people um you know I I managed the pain okay I didn't have to have lots of pain interventions I felt quite in control of that um, and, you know, although my daughter's birth was very long, it didn't feel difficult. It was just, is this ever going to end? And I'm getting really, really tired. Um, and, and also, I didn't appreciate, you know, on my discharge summary for my daughter where they put um, poor maternal effort. And I was like, are you joking me? I've been in labour for 48 hours. That's that is amazing. You know, and, and just those three words can be so damaging to a woman's sense of self. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's things like that. You come home and then you read the summary and you think, poor maternal effort. I don't think so. I think actually I was epic. Yeah. In going for 40 hours. Oh, yeah. um, so, you know, all those kind of, and, and I knew that as a term because I was medical. And I just thought, gosh, what must that be like if you've never seen that phrase before? And you think, gosh, this doctor thinks that I didn't give enough effort um it's it's the power to harm with those kind of three words is, is immense so so for me it was all about that person that made the difference it you know it really brought home to me how safe she made me feel I felt really informed I felt 
um, that even if things had to change, I felt it would be okay because she would be with me and explain it to me and that I understood it, you know, and simple things like, you know, after I'd had my son, she went straight and made me a cup of tea without asking. She then said, I'm going to leave you guys on your own for an hour so that you can just have lots of skin to skin, you know, really thought consideration. Yeah. Things. Um, yeah, just made a massive difference. And it and it has stuck with me forever. I can, you know, even my son is is 12 now and my daughter is is 15, but you know, I can hold those experiences in my mind like it was yesterday. And I always try to kind of tap into that when I'm speaking to other people. Do you have any messages for for mums who have had a traumatic birth in the past? and perhaps are in that sort of dilemma about you know they might want to extend their family but are so frightened and traumatized because I I know from my own experience I couldn't face going through that again for at least three years and because I was an older mum I was 40 when when I had Stan it didn't happen for us and and for years I carried the guilt of not you know not going yeah. through it and, and feeling very selfish, not providing him with a sibling. Yeah. Um, so yeah. for any parents, because you, you are proof that it can be a really positive experience and that you may have had a very traumatic birth first time round, but next time could be a lot better. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we know that from the literature that people after a traumatic birth tend to delay having another pregnancy for much longer, completely understandably. And I think the first thing, you know, it's sort of stages, isn't it? So often I'll sit with people immediately and they'll say, I'm never going to have another pregnancy. I can't have another pregnancy. And then things will kind of change. So first of all, it's even recognising that you've had a traumatic birth, because I think it takes time to kind of filter through and process that. And then I think it's about getting the correct treatment. So, you know, with trauma-focused therapy, you know, often it can really settle down those feelings of trauma and those difficulties around trauma. And then I think if people move forward then towards planning another pregnancy, it's really about pulling together your team and thinking about how it might be different. So it might be in a different trust, it might be that you want to plan cesarean, it might be that you want a free birth, a home birth, you know, it often changes how people, where they want to give birth and how they want to give birth and who they want with them. Um, And I always kind of, you know, I think lots and lots of planning about who will be my team, who do I want with me, who, you know, feels like that person that I know will carry me through this. Is it my partner? Is it my mum? Is it a doula? You know, is it an independent midwife? Do I want to have a planned gentle cesarean? So really nailing down. And I often ask people, you know, what don't you want to happen again? That's a very good question. Yeah. Better than what do you want? Because sometimes people can't quite think, but they can all say to me, I don't want an episiotomy, I don't want to be induced, I don't, you know, so you can kind of come in from there. And and it's all about, you know, planning, planning as much as you can. I also think there's something just about having known that you've done it before, that people really underestimate, even when it was very difficult and very traumatic, 
there is this difference of knowing that you did it before yeah, yeah. that your body's capable of it and that you are capable of yeah. it yeah and it's really important because there will be bits for everybody I think even in a very difficult and traumatic birth that there will be pockets that went well and felt good so you might be able to look back and pull out and think you know what actually I handled this bit actually I handled that amazingly well and it, it had moments of feeling good so you can draw from that as well um, but lots of planning and conversations and thinking about where and how I think can be really really important and you know it's important to say that it can then be an intensely healing um, experience but you know I think then it still carries with it some guilt of you know is it am I connecting differently this time am I feeding differently this time I wish it had been like this first time so it's really emotive you know difficult thing to face but there's no doubt for some people it can be intensely healing afterwards and sort of as a final question, um, just because I was I was very intrigued when you were talking about your own birth experience, about the fact you, you stood up or you chose to stand up and move around because I, I was doing hypnobirthing and I wanted to sort of stand up or, or do the thing where your partner holds you. But again, yeah. I was I was kind of not forced, but told I had to give birth on my back on the bed. Is, is that the case or can women choose which position they, they want to birth in? Right. So you absolutely have, should always have choices, you know, and, and, you know, increasingly now it's great because there's things like the balls in the room or water pools or, you know, they can even adjust the beds, you know, so that you can be on all fours or, you know, different positions you can be. Um, and sometimes it will depend a bit on, you know, if you're needing to be monitored or the type of pain relief you've chosen, obviously. But even then, there are things now where if you're being monitored, they can do that and move. They can use different types of epidural so that you can be mobile. So, again, it's the kind of thing that it's worth really asking about, you know, saying, I really want to be mobile because I knew that I wanted to be upright. I, I don't know, really thinking back why I knew that and um, I think part of the reason was I'd had hyperemesis so I'd had raging heartburn and sickness all the way through my pregnancy and I just couldn't lie flat it was so painful so I, I knew I wanted to be as upright as possible and I just found kind of moving and rocking instinctively was what I wanted to do and actually for months afterwards I do it in the checkout at Saints. <laughs> and then I get around and see him for mum and think yeah I see you I see you <laughs> it's quite an instinctive thing and then you do it with the baby as well and yeah yeah did it for months after and my husband was like you're rocking I was like oh gosh yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those things that sort of only a mum knows and, yeah, and literally you'd look down the aisle and you'd see somebody else and you'd kind of smile at each other and salute yeah, I salute you intensely um, I interviewed an incredible woman in New Zealand Hannah and she was saying about there's there's a salute that somebody in New Zealand instigated for like parents whose kids are just throwing a, a right hissy fit yeah. and it's that kind of exactly as you said I see you I hear you I know what you're going through yeah yeah 
But I think, you know, don't be afraid to ask about that because, you know, a lot of people instinctively know how they want to be, whether that's squatting or, um, or you know, or on all fours. You know, there are so many positions or, or even just, you know, the thing where you bring your knees in together rather than being pushed apart. There are so many things that we do instinctively, I think, without knowing, but we're actually positioning ourselves in the right way for our baby. Yeah, uh, really, you know, ask about that, because even with monitoring, there are, there are things that, you know, they can do. That's that's really good. So to anybody who, who might be pregnant at the moment, you know, you do have, you know, whilst obviously health professionals also have the best interest for the baby, which is incredibly important, but that you do have a choice. And and if they're not listening to you your birth partner if you're lucky enough to have a birth partner can be there to sort of make sure that your your choices are are at least entertained that you do have a right to have a say in in what happens during the the birth this has been such a profound conversation thank you Rebecca because I think Um, I think for so many parents out there for a lot of the people that I've spoken to who have had postnatal illness or postnatal anxiety or distress that the birth itself has had such an effect on them. And mm-hmm. I think to dedicate an entire episode to this is, is really, really important to do. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. I think there's just, you know, one thing to say also is that if, you, if you're struggling to kind of think about what does trauma feel like and look like, because sometimes trauma can feel like a big word, you know, and, and, and women are very good and men at sort of minimizing what's going on for them. So on the Make Birth Better website, there's a crib sheet of kind of things that, you know, you might experience after a difficult birth. And, you know, it can be also very good to take to professionals and say, look, this, this, and this is happening for me. There is also now a scale that is validated, especially for birth trauma and one for moms and one for partners. And it's amazing. 17 languages. So you could ask your GP to do that. Because I think one of the things that commonly happens is that people go after a traumatic birth experience and are told they're depressed. And sometimes they are but often they're not, they're traumatized and it needs slightly different sort of treatments, options. So I think, you know, anything you can do to ask people to screen you for birth trauma more carefully um, can be really helpful. So there is a city birth trauma scale um, or just have a look on the website and look at the different, you know, ways that you might be feeling. And there are also tons of resources there about how to heal as well. That's fantastic. What I'll do is I'll put a link to the City Birth Trauma Scale. And where can we find Make Birth Better? I mean, I will put links in the show notes, but for anybody that doesn't have access to clickable links, where can they get hold of you? So online, just um, makebirthbetter.org. On Instagram, um, we have a really... uh, really vocal and lovely community there um so you know i'd really encourage you to follow us along there and you can find me mainly on instagram just at dr rebecca moore um and you know i have amazing interaction with people and you know always my dms i always say this you know my messaging is open to people if they feel that that's a space they can begin a conversation um, because I think it's really important that, you know, people feel able to have those conversations um, and that we offer lots of different choices as how that might begin. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. I know that this episode will have absolutely helped so many of my listeners. So uh, yeah, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you enjoy this episode of Blue Mondays, please rate and subscribe. It only takes a minute, but it genuinely makes a difference to how many people can find it, which means helping more parents in need. Thank you.